Hello, welcome to episode six of the A Word of Good podcast. My guest today is Robin Powell. Robin Powell is an award-winning journalist, investor advocate, and content marketing consultant. For most of his career in mainstream journalism, Robin worked in broadcast news and current affairs. For 14 years, he was a news reporter and documentary maker for ITV Central and Network ITV News and ITV Sports. In 2005, Robin went freelance and spent seven years working mainly for Sky News and for the politics show on BBC One. Nowadays, Robin primarily works with progressive financial planners and asset managers at improving customer outcomes and building bigger, more successful businesses. Robin campaigns for better investor education and for greater transparency in global asset management. He also helps trustees in fulfilling their fiduciary responsibilities. Robin is the author of two very well-known and very well-established blogs, The Evidence-Based Investor and Advisor 2.0. Robin is also the Head of Investor Education at the financial planning firm Rock Wealth LLP and Executive Director of Ember Television, which produces and distributes broadcast quality content on the internet. I'm delighted today to have Robin Powell as my next guest. So hi, Robin Powell. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's a real pleasure, uh, Gethin. Thank you for having me. Um, so we'll get straight into it. Um, as workplace financial well-being has become more and more popular, we're starting to see workplace investment providers enter the market. Um, mm. And this change has seen HR and reward leaders more keen to help employees with long-term savings and investing. Um, you're a big promoter of evidence-based investing. Could you just tell us a little bit about what evidence-based investing is and how it works? Okay, right. Um, Well, I started using the phrase evidence-based investing purely because the the, the phrase that I I tended to use before, namely passive investing, well, uh, two things. First of all, um, uh, it wasn't a very good uh, uh, marketing (laughs) phrase because, of course, nobody likes to think of themselves as being passive. Um, but also, um, the, the, the other issue with that phrase, passive investing, is that it doesn't really tell the whole story. That there, there is much more to uh, investing than just whether you invest in an active fund or invest in a passive fund. And so when I started my blog, The Evidence-Based Investor, I took soundings from various people um, and actually a couple of uh, thought leaders in in the US who recommended that I go with evidence-based investing. It seems very curious, doesn't it, that that all investing isn't automatically based on evidence anyway, but actually uh, anyone who knows anything about the investing industry and and the asset management industry will know uh, that actually... um, uh, uh, most, uh, and it's fair to say, that the, the majority of financial decisions made by uh, professionals and indeed amateur investors are actually made on the basis of of, of guesses and, and, and hunch work. Uh, uh, <laughs> I should say that again, uh, um, uh, guesswork and, and hunches. Um, so I suppose, in a nutshell, evidence-based investing is about basing our decisions on what we actually know to be true rather than you know something that we might think or have an opinion about 
actual facts and and frankly there's 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 not enough of that happening okay perfect thank you very much um Another word that our listeners and their employees might have heard about quite a lot uh, when it comes to investing is diversification. Um, How important is it for employers to encourage diversification when it comes to how their employees' workplace savings are invested? So that whether that's pension, stocks, shares, ISAs or whatever it might be, how important is diversification? Diversification is probably, um, I suppose, alongside having a long-term perspective, I would say the most important thing that an investor should do. Uh, It has been called the one free lunch in investing. Um, There's a really uh, interesting uh, book uh, by uh, Elroy Dimson uh, and a couple of colleagues from London Business School called Triumph of the Optimists. And it was, uh, and 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 it's updated every year. um, And it's based on historical market data uh, from 1900 through right the way through to the present day. And what's so extraordinary, particularly about the 20th century, you know, we've had some extraordinary events in the 21st as well, but, you know, you think of all the horrendous things that happened in, in you know, um, uh, in the 20th century. You know, we had uh, two world wars. We had a massive recession uh, in uh, the 1930s. We then had the you know, threat of nuclear war, the rise of global terrorism. And yet, despite all of those things, and of course, the, the threat of climate change as well, um, despite all of those things, uh, markets continued to go onwards and upwards. I mean, sure, they had their, um, they, they had their uh, uh, moments, if you like, um, but patient, diversified investors were rewarded. You know, if you'd been silly enough to have all your stocks in, um, all, all your money invested in Russian stocks in 1917, or, or in German or Austrian stocks in 1939 or whatever, uh, then you would have, you know, lost a lot of money in, in, in the case of Russia and China, of course, all of your money. Um, but diversified investors, people who, you know, invested in different asset classes, stocks, um, mainly, but also you know, bonds and, and, and property and, and, and so on, um, who just stayed the course. They didn't need to do anything else. Just by staying the course, um, they succeeded. And that's why they called the book Triumph of the Optimists. And, you know, who knows, maybe this is <laughs> this would be a century that's, that's not, not quite as... Uh, um, uh, rewarding for investors, but if it's just a fraction uh, of of uh, you know how, how successful the last century was for investors, um, then then you know investing you know in a in a in stock markets in a in a diversified way with a balanced portfolio makes absolute sense. Um, and I guess that relates to, yeah. You know, I guess from a workplace perspective, you know, what lots of employees are starting to experience now is the fact that, you know, lots of these providers have appeared. They can download an app for free to their phone. They can start investing in the stocks and shares ISA really easily mm. at just, you know, a couple of pounds a week or a couple of pounds a month. Um, and I guess people are starting to, who use those apps, are starting to interact with their money possibly in more ways than they ever did before, especially when it comes to investments. And so they're seeing those fluctuations, and you know, I see it with my own investments. 
you can go on there one day and you could be very much up and then the following day you're very much down. And so mm. I guess it's more important to get people to realize the, the importance of long-term investing because mm. short-term it will be up and down and you don't want people obviously, I guess, to get scared and to pull that money out. So, you know, sticking that course can be uh, a bit gut-wrenching, I guess, sometimes for people who are new to investing. I'll be honest, Gethin, um, I have very mixed feelings about these apps. Um, the the say the uh, you know the, the budgeting side that's massively useful for you to actually write down all your outgoings that you know uh, and you know all, all uh, you know your your uh, sort of sort of uh, the, the, your car expenses your house expenses the, you know fun um, elements of your of your life as well um, and actually to be able to see on a screen in an app on your phone you know what exactly what's going out is really really useful what i would say is not only uh, not useful but actually downright harmful if you like is you know encouraging people to look at the stock market on a daily basis it's absolutely bonkers um you know People are investing for, I mean, my, my, my kids now are sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s, they can be investing for 50, 60, 70 years, you know, that is a long time. And, and you know, focusing on market movements in, you know, just a day, week, month, a year, I mean, two years, it's such a short time. Um, so I really would discourage people from, you know, constantly checking stock prices and 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 really focusing on the long term and looking at the big picture uh, and that's that's an interesting point because i guess it's quite challenging because these apps are designed to hook you in on a regular basis you know mm. like, like every app you know every app is kind of what is the hook how are we getting people to come in because the, you know you look at some of i guess money box money box is one i use and mm. you kind of get these really nice projections that kind of will tell you if you put another five pounds in every month this is how much mm. your pot's going to be worth in 10 years. And and those figures are obviously quite significant and they're big. Um, mm. But, you know, I know from ca- casual conversations with friends that it's very hard to take that long-term view when their view of the last six months is that that money has hardly moved at all. Well, that's right. I mean, it's it, unfortunately, it's the way that human beings have evolved. You know, we, we are evolved to, you know, spot, you know, a, a tiger in a corner of our eye or whatever we 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 uh, conditioned if you like to to be finely attuned to immediate dangers a very very huge danger threat that people face particularly now in this day and age where you know we can no longer rely on a kind of you know even moderately generous sort of state pension to look after our, ourselves in, in old age, the biggest danger that people have, frankly, is not having enough money to last them for the rest of their lives and having to spend their later years. And when I say later years, you know, sort of late 60s on, onwards. I mean, that, you know, people are you know living much longer. You can, you know, easily retire and, and live for another 30 years. And, you know, if... You don't have enough money. You're going to be relying on, you know, loved ones for for help, uh, charities, the state, um, 
and and that's the biggest danger that that we, we need to be attuned to. It's a long term, it's a slow danger, if you like. Um, but but um, yeah, we 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 need to focus on it. It's a really, really valid point because I think what we're starting to see in the workplace financial well-being kind of spheres is we have now start to have some workplace ISAs appearing. So providers mm-hmm. who will kind of deliver these things specifically in the workplace. And I think one of their sales pitches, if you like, to employees directly is, you know, if you're making long-term savings and you're saving for retirement, you can't mm-hmm. get your money when it's in a pension fund. But if you put it with us, you can get hold of that money should you should you need to. So they're almost, I guess, capitalizing a little bit on that fear that this money gets locked away and I won't be able to access it, which is obviously yeah. some people's um, issues with, with pensions. And, you know, in our conversation with Henry Tapper, we were talking about how reframing pensions as a long-term savings vehicle or a long-term investment kind of takes people away from what they think of pensions. And obviously pensions had a pretty bad rap at various points over the last 20 odd years. Mm. Well, you're saying people see it as a negative that you know they can't get their hands on their money, and and that's where why possibly you know ISAs are more um, uh, attractive to them. I would actually say not being able to get your hands on your money is a positively good thing. Uh, it's a very good discipline to have um, to invest in something we know we're not going to have the advantage of, or our loved ones are not going to have the advantage of. Uh, for you know a, a long time to come. I mean that's a pretty positive thing. Um, I think what I would say, um, get in, in, in without wanting to state the obvious, is you know all, all these apps, all these uh, companies, as you say, coming into firms and giving them you know uh, giving staff financial education lessons and and so on. The bottom line is everybody's got something to sell. Um, you know, uh, and uh, looking after managing other people's money is an awesomely lucrative uh, activity. Um, I mean, the, the global asset management industry is absolutely vast. Um, it's also not very efficient um, and it's not very transparent. And I think, frankly, people would be quite horrified to, to, to realize quite how much of their potential returns is actually being lost, frankly, through you know, bad money management. It's going into you know, the, the uh, shareholder uh, profits of the, uh, the, the fund management companies. A lot of money is going to, to stockbrokers because there's far too much trading a lot of money is going to uh, researchers and, and a lot of stock research. The, the academic evidence shows this is actually not very useful anyway. Um, so, you know, I really would encourage people to be very sceptical um, about anyone offering them any help with their finances. That's not to say, of course, that they shouldn't be. Uh, seeking out, for example, a financial advisor, uh, you know, and again, the evidence shows that a financial advisor really can add um, a, a, a lot of value. Um, uh, but, you know, they need to watch what they're spending because as research by Morningstar and others has shown, it's how much you pay, uh, particularly talking about investing here, 
It's how much you pay to invest that determines how big your retirement pot will be. Um, so I'm really glad you raised that point. I think it's something that came up in um, the interview we did with Eric Porter, the CEO of the Money Charity, was the idea that they're really nervous about the fact that lots of providers in this market are making money from employees and that closed user group and that kind of trusted employee-employer relationship. Some people mm-hmm. feel is being exposed by providers who are just trying to sell product and services to employees rather than educate them and give them the information they need to make those better informed decisions. Indeed. I mean, I do actually have personal experience of this in, uh, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but my my wife, uh, her company, they had a firm come in to look at her pension um, and they made a right mess of it, uh, frankly, uh, and (laughs) ended up going to the ombudsman and actually, uh, thankfully, winning some compensation. But um, just because your employer approves of a firm coming in that doesn't mean that you know you're absolved of your normal you know responsibilities to to do due diligence on that firm and to get a second opinion and to really make sure that that what they are recommending is genuinely in your best interests and and and, and not just theirs if you like or or, or not just your company's um so yeah, I, I would really encourage uh, employees to, to 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 get a second opinion, um, and that leads us really nicely onto um, the the kind of final point I want to discuss with you. Um, you know, exactly as you said, you know, lots of employers want employees to kind of, if they need to, get the advice, get regulated advice, and so many are kind of facilitating the ability for employees to find an IFA in their area, or in some cases, kind of actually providing somebody that employees could sign up for some of those, you know, are paid for out of salary deductions, things like that. Mm. Um, what is your advice on employees who want to seek advice from a professional? What kind of questions should they be asking of a potential advisor? That's a very important question. Um, and uh, I would say there are uh, a number of questions. Um, it's not the be all and end all, but a really important issue in investing at the moment is that most advisors still believe that active fund management is the way to go. Uh, If you look at the academic evidence, it tells us again and again that 99% of funds underperform a... um, uh, an equivalent index fund over the long term on a cost and risk adjusted basis. And there are lots of advisors out there who are still selling their services on the basis that they can beat the market. I challenge those advisors to actually show evidence that they can beat the market, that they've done it consistently in the past. And I've never, I honestly, and I'm not exaggerating, I haven't seen one advisor who can actually show me that they actually picked in advance those 1% of funds that beat the market. We can all see who the winners have been over the last three, five, even 10 years. But that doesn't mean that those same fund managers are going to be the managers who are going to succeed over the next 10. I mean, look at Neil Woodford, for example. I mean, he he was uh, a sort of staple in in, uh, the, the portfolios of most, or say most, or certainly a lot of financial advisors. His performance, um, in the last 
five years has been absolutely dreadful. And so that I think that, that's the first thing I would ask, you know, do, do you use low cost index funds? Um, and uh, another thing I would I would ask is about behavioral finance, because behavior is a very important aspect uh, of uh, successful investing. Um, we, we all know when when markets fall uh, and, and everyone appears to be selling and so on, um, it can be very tempting to join in. Uh, and sometimes we resist and we hold out, maybe deny that it's happening. And then markets go down and go down and maybe they go down for, say, two whole years. And then worse still, actually, right at the bottom, we capitulate and say, oh, you know, it's not going to get any better. I'm not having any of this. And you get out at just the wrong time. A good advisor will keep you invested, will make sure in the first place that your portfolio is balanced and that you're not taking on more risk uh, than you have capacity for. Um, and we'll also remind you during those times that, you know, you, you, you should just stay the course. And similarly, when everyone's talking about, you know, a, a sector that's, you know, where prices are running away, whether it's technology or Bitcoin or whatever, that actually the evidence shows you should just be thoroughly diversified. No one knows who the winners are going to be uh, in, in the future. And just because a, a particular fund or sector's done well in the last two or three years, that only makes it more likely to actually do badly in the next few. Um, so I think those are the two most important questions I would ask a financial advisor. Excellent. Thank you very much. And my final question to you, what's the best financial decision that you personally have ever made? Uh, ooh, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say two, but uh, the first was <laughs> marrying my wife. Uh, we, uh, we work very well together uh, in financial terms in that I was a spender uh, and I consistently spent beyond my, uh, uh, beyond my incomings every month. And she taught me uh, that, that no uh, sensible um, finances, the, 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 the basis of sensible finances is to, 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 to spend uh, less uh, than you have coming in. So that's the first thing. The second, I'd have to say, uh, is um, my conversion, if you like, to evidence-based investing. I, I'm, I'm a journalist and I was invited to make a documentary uh, seven years ago about passive investing, which um, completely changed my outlook. I thought I knew all about investing until I met some of the Nobel Prize winners and uh, uh, thought leaders uh, in the in the in the investing world, uh, people like Jack Bogle, for example, the the, the founder of, of of Vanguard. Uh, I interviewed uh, Gene Farmer, uh, the, the Nobel laureate from uh, Chicago Business School. I was absolutely astounded that there is all this evidence here out there on how we should invest, and yet still so few of us actually invest that way. So. Yeah, if I'm allowed to uh, get in, I would say those are the two best decisions I ever made. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time and your insights. Really, really grateful for um, being a part of this podcast and, and sharing your knowledge with the world. 
Um, if people want to read your blog, they can do that at in evidenceinvestor.com. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of resource on there. It's a very well-known and well-respected blog. So I encourage everyone to kind of have a look at that uh, and reach out to you if you could help any of the employers that are listening. It's been a real pleasure talking to you uh, and uh, you keep up the good work, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robin. Join the Workplace Wellbeing discussion online by tweeting your thoughts and questions to at World of Good Book. Thank you to my guest today and thank you for listening. <laughs>